Welcome everyone to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, I just want to say something to about uh, Meg here, and I pr- promise I won't embarrass her too much, but uh, we started coming to Resurrection Life Church, I'd say it was probably back in 2006, over at the, I call it the Copper Top Church there on 13th Street, and the first person that greeted us was Meg. And I'll tell you what, I, I looked at her and she just had the, just the image of Jesus all over her face, the love of God all over her. And I looked at her and said to Mary, I says, whatever she's got, I want that. Because it was, it was truly incredible. And I was reading in Matthew just recently on the Sermon on the Mount And it says this, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I just want to say, Meg, I'm not sure where you are at this point, but your light has been shining before others for a long time, and it continues to shine. And I know that just by people seeing you and the love that you have for God, it's bringing people to to Jesus. So thank you, Meg. I've got my wife, Mary, up here this morning. Mary woke me up in the middle of the night, oh, probably a month ago or so, and she had a prophetic word, and Mary's got a gift of prophecy, and she receives these words quite often, and it was powerful, and I wanted her to share it this morning. So, Mary, if you would, if you'd be willing to share that. Okay. Can, yeah, it's on. I was like, I hope it's on. Um, Like the one song that we sang this morning, it said, um, God is always with us. And so as I look out to everybody, I'm accustomed to little kids being in my classroom. So this Mm -hmm. is totally different for me. Mm -hmm. But um, so anyways, I had this dream. And it was somebody was um, chiseling away, like somebody had painted a window. And somebody, uh, this person was chiseling away the um, extra, you know, overspray on the glass. And somebody came up in the dream and kept saying, um, why are you chiseling away, you know, all these little tiny spots on this window? It doesn't matter. And the individual kept saying, I want to make it perfect. And so then it just kept going back and forth a couple different times. And then finally that person said, I need to make it perfect for God. God needs to have it perfect for us and so everybody can see through and right then I woke up and I, I typically when I have this I will write down stuff down get up write it down um, and kind of pray over it and figure out okay how is this pertaining to either my life or somebody else's life how can I share it and so I woke Mark up told him about it and then I'm like This is for you because all those last month, two months, however long it was that Mark um, was asked to do this, um, he was like immediately started doing, um, if you know Mark, he likes everything to be perfect. Everything's got to go in a, you know, ABC order. (laughs) And so anyways, um, I told him, I said, my dream, and he said, I said to him, I said, yo, this is for you. This, God already knows what is going to get said 
when you have to preach because he has already written the script. Amen. He is just going to deliver what God has already um, given to him. And God is just using him and he's going to deliver that message to you guys. And um, somebody here is going to walk out, you know, blessed with it. And um, so Thank that's, you, Mary. that's pretty much all yeah. I have. And I would have got that about 60% so. right. So thank you so much there for coming go. up here. That's for you. <laughs> hey, Meg. I don't know if she's in here. Do I have to shut this off? No. Mm. All right. Well, thank you, Mary. I appreciate that. It's so true. And I think we're all, oftentimes, many of us are victims of that, where we strive for this perfection. And God says, no, I don't need your perfection. I just need you. So thank you. Well, let's open up in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the opportunity to come to your house of worship. Lord, we thank you um, for what you're going to do here this morning. We thank you for all the people who are serving here. I think of the people who are greeting at the doors, the people who are working in the in the uh, kids' ministry, I think about the people who are in the kitchen, the people in the sound booth, the singers, the musicians. Lord, thank you so much for all that they are doing. Lord, we just pray for an extra dose of your Holy Spirit to pour out this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to start out with a little kind of a funny story. Maybe not so funny at the time, but uh, Pastor Dan had reached out to me back in June and asked me if I'd be willing to preach on August 8th, and right away, the impulsive Mark just says, yeah, sure, I'd love to do that. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Well, about a half an hour later, I was sitting on my, my porch. I had Eric Bode over, and Mary was back there, and we were sitting back there, and all of a sudden, Eric looks at me and says, Mark, you're not, you don't look like you're doing so well. And I says, man, I don't feel so well. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I start going sideways. And I started uh, phasing out, and my my wife, Mary, she jumps up, she runs across the street to our neighbor's house who works in the medical field. He's not a doctor or anything, but so he comes over and he says, Mary, he might be having a heart attack. I think you better call 911. So before I know it, Al Deverell's in my driveway, ambulance. I'm getting hauled away with an IV in my arm. I'm heading to the emergency room. Well, while I was on the way there, Mary must have called Pastor Dan because by the time I got to the hospital, Dan was already there. He walked in there and I'd had a bunch of stuff on me, and he says, he says, Mark, you know what? It's going to take a lot more than that to get out of preaching in August. <laughs> so, so here I am. But come to find out, I think it was just uh, dehydration. But uh, you know what? If it was the devil, we're not listening to him. That's for sure. So, well, my title this morning for my message is New Identity. Say New Identity. See, we're going to look at a powerful prayer spoken by an unlikely person found in a book seldom read. Now, I don't know about you guys, but uh, every once in a while I'll, I'll read the Bible and, and I just can't find anything that speaks to me. I'm just plowing through it and nothing stands out. I'm not getting anything out of it. I don't know if you've felt that way before too. I found that in reading the early chapters of First Chronicles. Now, if you've read First Chronicles, especially call it the first eight chapters, Let's face it, it's kind of a hard read, isn't it? And I was reading that, and basically what it is, is it's genealogy going back all the way to Adam. And for eight chapters, it just goes the father, the son, the father, the son, so on and so forth. And I'm reading that and saying, man, I'm about ready to give up. But then out of nowhere, God pauses for a moment and tells us about a seemingly insignificant man 
and then goes right back to listing countless names again. There must be something exceptionally important that God wants us to know. What God wants us to know is the prayer of Jabez. See, Jabez is not known for anything that he did. He wasn't a great warrior. There's no accomplishments listed by his name, and he's never mentioned in the Bible again. So why single this man out? Well, he prayed what I believe might be the most important and powerful prayer recorded in the Bible. But today, it's more than just a powerful prayer and what I'm going to talk about. It's a transformation into a new identity. So two things that you need to know about your identity, and we're going to, we're going to talk about these two things quite a bit uh, through the course of this message. And I believe um, you can put that on the screen, if you would, please. One is that man cannot give you your identity. Only God can give you your identity. And number two, for every lie that'll keep you in bondage, there is a truth that'll set you free. So hold on to those two thoughts because we're going to go back to them. Well, let's dive in and look at um, 1 Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. So these two verses talks about Jabez. And I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. So now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and the fourth thing, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And this is good. It says, so God granted him what he requested. So Jabez's story starts out with kind of a contradiction, does it? So God calls him, identifies him, and says, you are honorable. But his mother names him Jabez, which in Hebrew means to cause pain. Now we know that Pastor Dan, Dan has uh, told us many times that your name is, is, is powerful, and it meant a lot back in, back in uh, the Hebrew times. See, your name oftentimes meant the difference between success and failure. It was, that, it was that powerful. See, this is kind of hard to comprehend in our culture. You know, we don't assign that much weight or significance to the names that we give our children. And I'll give you an example. The name Henry is a prominent name in my family. My grandfather, Henry Sr., who immigrated just after World War I, after he served in the Dutch Army, he immigrated to the United States. His name was Henry Sr., my father, who's in the second row, hey, Dad. His name is Henry Jr. My name is Mark Henry. I named my son Justin Henry, and he named his son Henry. So we got a lot of Henrys going on. And don't think for one minute that my grandson, who's in the nursery right now, doesn't have a little bit of pressure on him. But I don't think any of us know what Henry means. It's just a name. It's just a name that kind of stuck from, from generation to generation to generation. But, you see, Jabez, he grew up knowing that his identity was that was pain. He probably had little self-worth. My guess is he was probably ridiculed and thought less of by his peers. But, you see, often God would change a man's name in the Bible, and we see this quite a bit. I think maybe the first example of that was back when Abraham was named, or excuse me, Abram was named Abraham. We've seen it also where we saw where um, Jacob became Israel, Saul became Paul, Simon became Peter. So oftentimes God would, would change a person's name. See, they, would, they identified not with their old selves, 
but then how God sees them. But you see, Jabez grew up with the identity that he caused his family pain, essentially that he was no good. See, a lie was spoken into his life at birth, but he was to realize that God would speak truth and give him his true identity. I want to tell you all about a story about a man named Sixto Diaz Rodriguez. Has anybody in here heard of that name? No, that doesn't, doesn't surprise me. See, Rodriguez was a singer, songwriter back in the 70s. He's from Detroit, Michigan. By all accounts, a complete failure. Sold essentially no records, never had any hits. Had zero influence on the music industry. Well, one day, his daughter happened to be doing a little bit of research on Rodriguez, and come to find out, Rodriguez was quite popular in South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. So his daughter tried to convince him, his, tried to convince her, her dad to, uh, to go to South Africa and see for himself. He couldn't, couldn't believe it, couldn't understand this. See, in his mind, he was a failure. That's what he knew. That's how he identified. But finally, he decided that, okay, after enough pressure from his daughter, he was going to go to South Africa. Well, he gets on the plane, but somehow or another, before he landed, word had gotten out that he was coming to South Africa. So by the time he got there, his plane landed, he was greeted with fanfare reminiscent of when the Beatles landed in America back in the early 60s for the first time. So for those of you who are old enough to remember that, you know that was a big deal. So he's, he's, he's greeted with all these screaming people, wondering, what in the world? Where is this coming from? He gets in the car to take him to his hotel, and the music that's playing on the radio is music of his. How can this be? He's driving to, the, to his hotel. He looks, and he sees billboards with his picture on it. He goes on to end up playing for sold-out audiences for months after that. See, Jabez, or excuse me, you see... Rodriguez believed that he was a complete failure. He was believing a lie his entire life. He believed his identity was that of a failed musician with zero impact, when in fact, the truth was that he was a cultural icon who sold more records than Elvis Presley. See, for every lie that'll keep you in bondage, there is a truth that'll set you free. Jabez could have bought into his current circumstance and the identity that was given through a lie but Jabez knew his identity was formed through how God saw him and not how man saw him. See, this is key to unlocking the blessings that God has for you. I've said this to our men many times. The difference between living as a son and living as an orphan is understanding how God sees you. See, Jabez knew of God and his goodness. He knew how God blessed his ancestors and the supernatural miracles that were performed. See, this is abundantly clear to me because I don't think he could have prayed this prayer if he didn't believe that. So Jabez asked four, had four requests from God that set him apart, and he was described as honorable. The first prayer request, he cries out to God. He says, oh, that you would bless me indeed. And we have that up there. See, our culture has diminished the word bless. I was going through a Hardee's just this past week, up in um, Marquette. And I'm going through the drive-thru and the lady says, uh, have a blessed week. And I wonder to myself, does she, does she know what she's saying to me? Oftentimes, I will say to somebody, I'll, I'll admit it, 
I'll say, Kevin, have a blessed week. And oftentimes what I'm saying to Kevin in my heart is, hey, have a great week. Have a super fantastic week. But you see, in biblical times, it was much more than that. See, what Jabez was asking for God was he was asking for something that's supernatural. See, the word blessing in Hebrew means much more than what we understand it to mean. A, the, a blessing in Hebrew means that it can only be accomplished by God. It's something that's supernatural. But Jabez didn't just stop there. He threw in the word indeed. Now, when he did that, he was basically dropping a couple of exclamation points behind it and saying, God, I want you to bless me supernaturally, and I want it to be the biggest blessing that you've ever given. That's what Jabez was saying. This doesn't sound like somebody who thought his name meant pain. No, he didn't. This is something more than, than that identity. The second request that Jabez has for God was he's asked God to enlarge my territory. Now, I don't believe that Jabez was asking God to financially bless him. I don't think that he was asking for more monetary possessions. and I don't think he was asking for more land or more cattle or, or what have you. What I believe that Jabez was asking for when he said to enlarge my territory, I believe he was asking for more influence. I believe that he was asking God to say, I want to do something great for you in my community. I want you to give me influence over my family. That's what I think that he was asking for. See, Jabez was looking at his current situation and thinking, God, I know you see me and I believe you have something much more for me. The third request that Jabez has is, he says, let your hand be with me. Now, I believe that Jabez got exactly what he asked for and he probably thought to himself, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do now? There's no way in the world I can hand this, handle this because when God blesses you supernaturally, it's going to take more than what you can handle to be able to, to, follow, to follow through with that. Really, you can choose to do one of two things at this point. You can pridefully dig your heels in, and you can try and just push through it. Or you can humble yourself and say, no, I can't handle this. This is, this is too big for me. Lord, I need you. I was recently, just yesterday, at our men's breakfast, our Saturday morning breakfast that happens the first Saturday of every month, and I'm going to just use just a second to promote that. If you're not going to that breakfast, guys, you're missing out. But um, I had an opportunity to, to uh, speak with Rich Verican, and um, he was telling me about a mission trip that he just went on to Africa. And he was telling me that uh, oftentimes that he will preach for six or seven hours street, straight in I don't know, 100 plus degree temperature, high humidity, probably half dehydrated at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, I'll bet you Rich was asking for the, for the hand of God to be with him because there's no way in the world after he was blessed with that opportunity to have that kind of influence over that many people in another land that he probably wasn't asking God for the hand of God to be with him. See, we see the reference to the hand of the Lord often. One prominent time is in Acts 11, verse 21. And it says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. See, this was the disciples. They had, um, this was after they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, prior to them receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
they would, what I would, if you guys remember Chris Berman back on Sports Center, and they were basically bumbling, stumbling, rumbling out there. They were, they were just running around with chickens with their head cut off. They couldn't get anything accomplished. They spent three years with their Savior. The day that he left, he was out, they went out back to fishing in their boat. But the day that the Holy Spirit came upon them, they all of a sudden became incredible. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus takes it up a notch even further. He says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I'm sorry, and then I just said that. But John 14, verse 12, it says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. You see, supernatural favor requires an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. The final request that Jabez has for God and throughout this transformation, it really comes full circle at this point. He says, keep me from harm so I will be free from pain. And that's out of the New International Version. You see, Jabez never wanted to go back to his old identity. He knew what life was like back when he was called pain, when he identified with that. He knew what that felt like, and he says, God, I'm never going back to that. He was no longer worthless, as his name implied. He now identified as a child of God. He now saw himself as God sees him, honorable. You see, what is true about you is not based on your experiences or what others say about you. What's true about you is what God says about you. You might want to write that down. That's, that's an important statement. I'm going to say that again. What's true about you is not based on your experiences or what others say about you. What's true about you is what God says about you. You know, I love reading about King David. He's one of my favorite people from the Old Testament. Probably the greatest king of Israel. Mighty warrior wrote some of the most beautiful psalms that you could ever read. Probably, I think probably almost half the psalms he wrote. And how does God describe him? Anybody? A man after my own heart. I think that's the only time that God describes anybody that way in the entire Bible. Who would not want to be called that? However, I believe a lie was spoken into David's life when he was young. And he's most likely wounded from it. See, every boy wants to hear from their father, son, you have what it takes. You know, when, um, when Samuel was going to anoint the next king from the, from the house of Jesse, big day, right? Probably the biggest day that you can ever imagine. God is going to anoint a king from the house of Jesse. Whole family's probably there, right? Probably all the cousins, uncles, aunts. Incredible day. Samuel shows up. First son comes out. Lord, is this who you want to be the next king? Is this whom you want to anoint, me to anoint? No, not him. Second son comes out. Is this whom you want me to anoint? Is this going to be the next king? No, it's not him. The third one comes out. The fourth one comes out. The fifth one comes out. No, no. The sixth one comes out. The seventh son comes out. Finally, Samuel looks at Jesse and says, do you not have any more sons? Oh, no, 
I do have one more son. He's out in the fields tending to the sheep. Ooh, the lie has been cast. The wound has taken place. You see, Jesse didn't even think that his son could ever be anointed king. He basically was saying to David, you don't have what it takes. Go out in the field and take care of the sheep. The rest of my sons, they're going to be king. The lie was cast. The wound was given. Son, you don't have what it takes. When David announced he was going to kill the Philistine Goliath, he went to two people that he probably thought would give him some encouragement. He went to Saul and says, I'm going to kill Goliath. Saul laughs at him. He says, you're just a boy. You don't have what it takes. He went to his brother. He went to his older brother. Surely his older brother would give him encouragement. I'm going I'm to kill Goliath. He doesn't laugh at him. He gets mad at him. He says, aren't you supposed to be out taking care of the sheep? Ooh, went right to the original wound, didn't he? See, David knew of God's truth, the truth that God had for him. For every lie that keeps you in bondage, there's a truth that'll set you free. In Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul tells us, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And I would insert the word bondage in there. See, there's a battle for your true identity. The good news is that battle's already been won. <clears throat> Years ago, a good friend said to me, he says, God doesn't speak to you from your past. He doesn't speak to you from your present. God speaks to you from your future. See, when a person looks at a cocoon, they see a cocoon. When God looks at a cocoon, he sees a butterfly. This couldn't be truer than how God spoke to Gideon. Gideon was hiding in the bottom of a wine press from the Midianites. Cowardly, afraid. <clears throat> God was going to deliver a message to Gideon, saying that he was going to use Gideon to save Israel from the Midianites. This was as he was hiding in a wine press. Gideon's response was, how can I rescue Israel? My clans is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least of my entire family. While he's still in that wine press, God says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Just go on your own strength. See, Jabez was called pain, or that he was worthless. God says, no, you are honorable. David was told that he doesn't have what it takes, but God says, no, you're a man after my own heart. Gideon was believed that he was the least of his entire tribe. God says, no, you're a mighty hero. For every lie that will keep you in bondage, there's a truth that will set you free. Who are you going to believe? Some of you here this morning might be dealing with a wound from a lie that was spoken to your life, maybe at a young age. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Notice how it doesn't say how he thinks in his mind. See, this is an important distinction. Our mind will deceive us, but God speaks to our heart. He speaks to our spirit, and he speaks truth. I've had the opportunity to hear men in this church and this community share their testimony of how God radically changed their identity. I've seen this on Saturday morning breakfast. I've seen God heal wounds of lies that were spoken into their lives. 
They no longer live as orphans, but instead as the son of the most holy God. You see, God is no respecter of persons. What God will do for one, he will do for another. See, in Luke 4, verse 18 through 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. See, everything changes when we understand that our true identity comes from the one who knit you in your mother's womb, who knew you before the foundations of the earth, our heavenly Father whose love is never ending, never changing, no matter what we do. Our journey into the truly blessed life comes from understanding how much God loves you and realizing that our identity is not formed through how man sees us, but instead of how God sees us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for revealing to us in your word and in our hearts of who you are and how much you love us. Thank you for giving us our true identity and showing us who we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we know you want to open our eyes to the blessings you have for us. Help us to walk into your purpose and the blessed life. For those here this morning who are dealing with a lie that has been spoken into your life that is keeping you in bondage, I ask that you put your hand over your heart and repeat after me. Jesus, I need you to take this negative emotion and I want you to think about what that negative emotion is. Jesus, I need you to take this negative emotion from me. Jesus, I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. Jesus, I receive your healing and stand on your promise that you have a new identity for me and I now walk in the presence of the true son and no longer an orphan or daughter. The true son or daughter, no longer an orphan. For those of you here this morning who have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior but would like to, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Please place your hand over your heart and repeat after me. Jesus, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you died to save me from my sins. I want to make you Lord of my life. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So today I give my heart to you and choose to trust you for the rest of my days. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. <clears throat> hey, if you prayed for that, uh, either for healing this morning or if you prayed to ask to have Jesus Christ come into your life for the first time, there's going to be prayer partners here this morning that would love to walk you through that decision that you just made. Have a blessed week. Have a supernaturally blessed week. We'll see you all later. We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E dot org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Catalog. For upcoming events and information,